This is the Stark Truth, hosted by Robert Stark. Brought to you by StarkTruthRadio.com. Robert Stark is an American journalist and political commentator. You can listen to his podcast at www.StarkTruthRadio.com. This is the new Rite of Podcast for the Lost Arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. And it is also... Yeah, this is uh, the st- also the Stark Truth with Robert Stark. Uh, we're doing a simulcast. And uh, yeah, everything I've recorded has been... Uh, yeah, this is the, the first... I, I don't know if you'd call it a field report, but we're... Field usually, yeah, usually yeah. we record separately... Uh, from from home uh, we're actually recording uh we're taking like a short weekend trip and uh yeah. we yeah we're in Lake Henshaw it's uh it's in the back country of San Diego and it's actually right. somewhere that uh yeah really scenic but it's actually somewhere I've never never, never been. actually I been mean, I've yeah. been to San Diego many times but it's uh it's near near Julian mm-hmm. and uh also, yeah. the Anza Borrego State Park. Right. We did a little weekend trip to what I guess you'd call the east part of San Diego County. Um, doxing our trip, but it's not where we live, so I guess that's okay. Uh, yeah, we, we visited the desert. I actually wanted to field record this in the desert, but that proved to be pretty um, unrealistic given how much dust there is everywhere and how fucking hot it was. And so we're, we're recording this from our Airbnb in Lake Henshaw. Um, and Robert, this is your first ever field recording? Yeah, yeah, at least for this, for uh, Star Truth Radio. Right, right, right. Yeah, we've done, we've done. Well, video I, actually, yeah, we right. have done video recordings for the YouTube channel. Yeah, this is kind of like that, except I guess maybe we realize we don't really need the video element. I mean, I, 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 I've, we've started um, for New Right Pod. We've started to do a few um, field recordings recently. I really like them. I like the in person energy um but I, it's occurred to me i don't necessarily need the sweat of like um editing on adobe premiere pro which i'm not very good at anyway and it's kind of you can you can kind of have your cake and eat it too by doing a quick easy pod uh while field recording in person like if, if this was one year ago i would have done our Giorgiani interview this way i think it would have been better. right but that's neither here nor there um welcome to the simulcast show and today we're going to be talking about what would you call it, Robert? The new religion? A new yeah, spiritual movement? So, yeah, so, yeah, new yeah. spiritual movement for California. <laughs> Sounds really... Yeah, like the idea came about like we were hiking up above Vernal Falls in Yosemite, and Matt was... Yeah, Matt also, the same day Matt got me, uh, practically... Practically Practically, killed, in, yeah. I'd say maybe not, maybe not killed, but injured, but for tripping over the stream, but above Vernal Falls. And yeah, Emerald... Emerald Lake, Emerald uh, Pool above Vernal Falls in Yosemite. Mm-hmm. Tell starting in a religion, and I don't know. He's this like extensively long, like academic, kind of esoteric 
uh, this very long like academic article, which Matt does. Yeah, he does write in a very his writing style is very academic. About my renaissance of the ritual. Yeah, the renaissance of the ritual. But when I first started writing this in real, just like Matt, are you are you onto something? Or are you just like like so full? Are you just full of shit? And I keep calling him up, and I go, oh, "How, Matt? How are you coming on that new religion?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a, it's a bit of a meme. I'm not really trying to. Well, no, I won't. I won't. I will neither affirm nor deny anything. It started off as one of those things where it's sort of a, a half joke, but is also serious. And yes, we were talking about it on our excellent trip to Yosemite National Park last September. And I mean, my answer is like I'm both serious and not. I will get more into this later, I think, but. Um, for me, the, the whatever this project is, it would be an anti-grift in the sense that it would not be for profit. It wouldn't be about hierarchy. It would certainly not be about. Well, me. I gotta clarify. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If any of us write books, obviously, I, uh, I don't want to like hate on, gr- on grift so much because I used to be more principled, like like pointing out. It's always been like pointing out all these people who are grifters and viewing them as complete garbage. I've changed because I think like making money independent from from just like the corporate shit i mean that that's living the dream right. basically oh, so yeah. so yeah so but i do think it's not even yeah so it's like selling books if this does take off and we like yeah. sell books like sure or, or substack subscript paid substack subscriptions or why not well, but yeah. i guess the point i think what matt means is there are these uh like the cult the cult movements of the past and I do think not that's e- not even the big dark cult movements, but even just your average crap. And there, there's a yeah, there's a dozen here in these stupid high. It's more this yeah. like hierarchical structure where the, this person has this special knowledge that that they have to pay. So yeah, like where do you? But then the kind of question is, a lot of people start off, maybe start off with good intentions, and then the money and status comes right. in, which right. is understandable. It's so like, I don't want to be in the position that is this bullshitty position where people are in, where they're like making you pay them for their supposed wisdom. I mean that everyone hates that everyone except low IQ people smells that a mile away. That is not what this is I, I'm, at all. Whatever, whatever this ends up being. I mean, I, I take some inspiration from, uh, and I don't know that I'm not extensively read in this and I'm not a discordy. I don't even know how to say the word discordantist myself, but there's that prominent, um, quasi right-wing uh discordiantism movement that was founded in i think whittier california and just two two friends chatting at a bowling alley and um whatever this is uh would be more in the vein of that a self-initiatory um just thing i'm exploring and doing it semi-publicly online and um you know anyone is welcome to join me anyone is welcome to join us. yeah who was the figure or some columnist or I forget who it was they predicted that the 2020s will see a big resurgence in cults, much like the 70s and 80s. Uh, I don't know who the columnist was. Um, you remember that? You know what I'm talking I, about. I remember it. I feel like it's, pro- it's probably been a prediction that was made uh, in one or more um, places, uh, but I don't remember the specific columnist. Anyway, I don't know if we've actually really seen that come into full fruition. I feel like people, it's a little bit harder to start like a Charles Manson-esque cult as it probably was back in the 60s and 70s because i think people are a little more aware and there's all these cult watch websites so i don't know if we've seen the full fruition actually of that. i can remember when i was in like middle school age in maybe 97 i remember the yeah i do remember like the heaven's gate cult which was like a mass mass suicide that was very tragic but that's right. actually that's actually like the same i don't know how close they were to where we are but maybe 
maybe like 45 minute drive. I remember that. So that was that was the later part of the 90s. So you th- you think of the maybe the 80s, the 70s or 80s, like sort of the 60s counterculture, and then these different uh, all kinds of different cults. Uh, the one. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's hard to say, like p- pinpoint in one era. Maybe yeah, a lot in the eighties as well. Kind and the one, the one that walking, the one like what there was the one, the most controversial, like the one, walking children of God of walking Phoenix was in, when he was a kid, and then the one like Jim Jones uh, in South America, like yeah. Guyana. So I'd say, I think that's like you said mostly like the seventies. So what it is, but then is yeah, then also. Yeah. Uh, but then the '80s wave maybe more, more economic focus. It's hard to uh, say. Maybe. I mean, you could you could uh, you could watch like an Adam Curtis movie and, and chart some of these cultural changes. What I would say from my armchair pop psycho uh, so, social psychology position here would be, you know, it's kind of same with the, the rise in serial killers at a certain point, which there's all kinds of theories on. These this was an element of the kind of immediately so '60s '70s petering out a little bit in the '80s into the '90s. Uh, immediately post um, post mid century boom in a, the sort of underbelly of the the boom, so to speak, the underbelly of baby boomer culture, the the underbelly of opulence, all of that kind of ends up feeding into that cold hysteria. We're going off a little off topic. My only point is, I think that the the, the that the, the the soil is indeed fertile. Uh, for for t- cultic type thinking, I just don't know if from like a criminological perspective, cults are really taken off. But uh, the the soil is definitely uh, ripe for um for for the type of new age spirituality uh, and for occultism. Um, again, armchair social psychology be it, the armchair social psychology holding that in times of chaos, which we're certainly in, people grift more not grift drift <laughs> uh, more toward um. A notion like the occult, which finds basically structure in chaos, which um, I admit, I fully admit um, is probably part of my attraction to it, is living in these socially atomized and chaotic times and, um, you know, wanting to kind of create some order out of that for myself. Um, so I think that um, both the both the, uh, the the kind of the fabric of society in its chaos right now is fertile for these ideas. But we also wanted to talk about California yeah, as a yeah. literal fertile soil, ostensibly. But then the have question is, like, what, what California kind of meant in the past? And uh, this is this is off on a tangent, but, like, one of the reasons why, like, I, as, as most, a lot of you know, I was involved with the Galexit movement and, like, why it failed. Because uh, I think it failed, like, of them trying to kind of create an identity out of scratch as California is very deracinated. But I think a lot of a lot of what made California this kind of unique, you could say like a Promethean spirit, and this ties in with all these like religious cults that were founded mm-hmm. here. Like we Michael Marinacci's California Jesus yeah, which, chronicalizes that. I well, think well, Yeah, like Scientology took off here. Yeah. Uh there are various the Christian cells. Yeah, the that's that's Satan, true. Which isn't real Charles true. Manson, uh, the yeah. cults, of the, all the cults. Like, but a lot of it, like what it meant. I think a lot of what made California Promethean, and this sense of rad, the spirit of radical creativity, was its relation with America. How people keep moving, like further west. Yeah. And I think Collexit. So yeah. 
I think why collects it failed besides it is very obviously not so much I'm not even talking about the legal construct of creating a new nation just the sort of identity aspect as California is kind of deracinated but I think what made America unique was the Americans moving west to reinvent themselves mm -hmm. and collects it wants to kind of create this like convoluted civic nationalism based on the identity of like the original Californios, but then also uh, using like new immigrants as like a building block to create something new. And that just, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, it was something I was involved with, but I think actually looking back on it, I think it just, it's a very, I think it's a, was a very, it's, it's a marginal movement, maybe a, a very modest, small size movement that was able to get some media publicity when Trump was elected. But I yeah. think because of that, I could, didn't really tap into those factors about California. Right. But it is true because it very much, I think what made California Promethean was its relationship to America. Yeah. And that's what I think they're, they're, that's why there's so many new religions. That's, that's why, what, and that's why there were so many fun. new religions just yeah. as, the sense of sort of like being a colony of a colony. Right. I think it's also a factor like why California, what made it Promethean, but then also why it's become so deracinated and why it's so stagnating as well. Yeah, there are these like spiritual movements that emerged out of California. And I guess the other thing, but like the eso esotericism to like fascist pipeline, yeah, that does seem where it's not, it's not political. It's like esotericism and extreme romanticism uh that yeah that that is a thing and even going back like you do see kind of overlap some overlap with like new age like new age culture where new age culture is linked to liberalism kind of a lot of things like new age culture to the hippie movement but also to kind of techno libertarianism to maybe a bit like a, a, a fashy aspect so yeah that is that is interesting and a lot of uh also like the politics of these religious cults, because I remember there was this uh, obscure, obscure kind of like third positionist group called the Order of Atwa. They were like third positionist. And I met, I met them. Were, in, were they associated with Manson? Yeah, they're admirers <laughs> of Charles Manson. Yeah. And they were also associated with kind of like the new right scene. I remember they're like into like radical, radical deep ecology. Okay, give me a chance here. Yeah, no. Um, so a couple things to unpack when you said I agree that I think you know there's I remember there's like a sallow forum um, chain on this like why are there so many weirdos in California, and I think there's a I think that's true I think it's a fair assessment I think there is a negative side to that where you have a lot of liberal and otherwise grifty and annoying weirdos starting religious movements in California but I think there's a positive side too which I'll get to and I, I basically uh, I, I remember there's all kinds of reasons cited on this sallow forum um, chain. Uh, ranging it from everything from the weather rotting the soul of European man, you know, the, the nice weather not being challenging. But I, I think that the basic idea that it is the individualists within the already individualistic American culture moving yeah, out. Yeah, California, uh, there's, there's could, also, you make, uh, could you make the point, could you make the point that like California is a colony of a colony? Yeah, right. California is a colony of a colony and there's li quite literally a lot of open space or at least there used to be. Still is. I mean, we're in, exactly. We're in San Diego County. At, we're yeah. overlooking like this, this vast valley and it's just something, I don't know, something kind of, I don't know, mysterious about it. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, we're in eastern, again, East East County, San Diego, which if anyone's ever actually been to the county knows is very remote. Uh, where San Diego is one of the most, one of the larger and more sprawling cities in the country. But if you get into East County, it's quite sprawling. Same with LA on even, which is even more sprawling, but nevertheless, there's still open space. So I say all this to say California has been very much inhabited and it's known for sprawl and known for massive population nevertheless you can still drive a couple hours outside of any of the cities and and see that original vision of the open space which i think yeah again it's it's literally in the soil in that fertile open space soil for new religions to grow you mentioned michael marinacci um one of the co-authors of weird california part of the weird series also wrote his own book california jesus which focuses specifically on the christian denominations of which there are many uh including uh uh, our friend, uh, not our friend, but uh, including uh, Mr. Mel Gibson's uh, State of Contus Church uh, as a, you know, th- th- there's, a, there's a lot of um, even denominations of Christianity that have grown up here. But I, I basically agree with the point that you made, that it is the, it's the individualistic spirit. And then in terms of the New Age to fascism pipeline, well, I don't want to get too into highly, highly controversial topics here. And, um, you know, I don't identify with this personally, but you mentioned, what was it, the Order of Atwa? Yeah, Order of Atwa, uh, I met some of them at a, I don't want to, it was a long time ago, but it was a political event for some new right organization in Santa Cruz, like in 2012, and they were like a group, they lived out uh, in a remote, like a kind of a, a commune, like a hippie type commune somewhere in Northern California, mm-hmm. but they were like third positionists, and uh yeah. radical like deep ecologists in the vein of like Penti Lincola and they also but they also were admirers of Charles Manson <laughs> which is and obviously some of sucks, them actually but... some of the members I think one of his girlfriend Charles Manson's girlfriends may have been involved and they were uh like they believe they actually believed he was framed they were yeah I mean I'm not gonna get into that oh, yeah, you'd yeah. Have to, you'd have to t- talk to Boyd Rice or Adam Parfrey or whoever about yeah that, what but... is their connect yeah so oh that's a whole nother topic they're also yeah, Californians they're, also Cal- they're, 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 they're actually probably highly we could do a they whole both are. I think Boyd, yeah. Boyd Rice is even from San Diego I inter- I mean yep. Adam Parfrey's dead but I did get to interview him I actually did get to interview him Boyd Rice is someone I've never corresponded with and he's <laughs> I don't know what he's up to now he was more like they were part of like '90s apocalypse culture, uh, Richard Wollstonecraft, Jim Goat, even. Yep. Yeah, no, and they're relevant to this very California base, and they definitely, uh, even as just a meme or a joke, and, and Sean Partridge being another great guy to cite here. Um, oh, and that? the Partridge Family Temple is yeah, still active, right. um, which is a bit in of a California. Again, uh, yeah, I've um, I've met a few of their members around around LA. They have some. Uh, this is a tangent, but they have some people, you know, some younger actresses and whatnot. Um, yeah, that's surprising. Not I guess I shouldn't say surprisingly, but um, you know, it's it's the Partridge Family Temple has has lived on well past the '90s, but uh, but no, it's relevant to this topic because this notion of esotericism to fascism pipeline or New Age to fascism pipeline, or maybe fascism is the wrong word, but New Age. Let's say put it this way: New Age to based New Age um, pipeline is very real, and I, you know, it's something that I'm somewhat interested in. It's some you know, you meet people who kind of deal in these new age type spiritual ideas, this eclecticism of looking, you know, ex-Orient Lux, looking to the Eastern thought for light, um, and even looking to um, occult traditions of the West and Kabbalah and Wicca and Crowley type ideas. These uh, have a 
these these ideas are not you know there's the there's the left wing um new age cliche but actually a lot of right wing thinkers even go thinkers and movements going back to even some prominent ones which i'm not going to name here uh delve pretty extensively into some of these uh, occult ideas and specific i'm also reminded of the that new the new right organization in question that was affiliated with the ottawa group or, or had the connection there well there's there's some notion there of west coast uh new rightism shall we say um that that emerged from that scene uh that that is also perhaps relevant here where you have people who have stereotypically liberal type interests whether it's environmentalism or um sort of sort of syncretic occultism or even or even um buddhism and, and stuff like that but but apply oh, yeah, it to like a so, uh, right of center political framework that uh like Savitri Devi, like oh, there's yes, a faction of, of like the new right who are fascinated with with Hinduism. Even that's oh yeah yeah an Eastern yeah other Eastern uh, theology. Uh, Julia Savola. Julia Savola, right? Was. So look, we don't even need to we don't even need to give a laundry list here. It's it's the, the, the information is there for anyone who scratches the surface. Um, and by the way, uh, needless to say, I'm not necessarily endorsing Savitri Devi or or whatever or the Atwa group. You know, the I, I I'm not as far right as them. I do think it's interesting, however, that there are these groups that delve into stereotypically left-wing cultural spaces, in this case, um, the New Age one. So, Matt, yeah. uh, Matt, if you just want to kind of give a brief intro to your article, The Renaissance of the Ritual, mm -hmm. and uh, how would you define occultism? Yeah, so it, it is a long, somewhat academic, although rather than citing academics, it cites mostly frog Twitter figures uh, article. Um, I think maybe the easiest place to start is how I would define occultism. And I've given this some thought. Um, obviously, the basic notion of occultism is spiritual, um, sort of supernatural and even magical topics or even paranormal topics, you know, you know, you, you know manipulating the universe to in line with your will creating uh you know the, i i do find the crowley definition of magic which also is the definition of magic in, in a book called pop magic that i that i read which is one of the things cited in the article i do you know there, there is this basic notion of magic as um you know uh bringing order to chaos in line with your will i, I do find that helpful so so I, i'm not discounting um the notion of magic or that as a practice but I find the most helpful definition of the occult for my purposes and in the article is uh, the occult as an inquiry into those elements of nature and reality that, in my view, inform the spiritual impulse across different traditions, you know, whether Western, Christian, um, Judaic, but also Eastern, like these just these different fixtures and elements within reality these different things that we have access to psychologically um and even scientifically uh that inform that basic spiritual impulse and then are ritualizable and later co you know codifiable into tradition but the, the, the occultism being a goal of as an individual kind of tapping into the, the wilds the energy outside of the codified space whatever that energy may be on an individual it is individualistic because you're doing it on an individualistic basis there's there's a purposeful um you know not interpreting in line with the tradition and instead suspending sort of suspending um you know your preconceived cultural notions and instead delving as purely as possible into the mere energy and obviously this all sounds very 
woo woo and um, spiritual, but I don't even, I think that one can even be sort of agnostic towards spiritual matters or magical matters. And that rather, you know, undeniably even, and I'm, again, I'm, I am just an armchair psychologist, but undeniably there are, there are some psychological principles you could pinpoint and some recurring sort of anthropological uh, elements that you can find across cultures of, of the way people you, you know, understand themselves in relation to the divine or in relation to the universe and, and the way people then ritualize that, whether it's lighting a candle or, you know, using different elements, um, you know, sexual practices, these, these are findable cross cultures. So for me, the most, the most um, helpful definition of, of occultism is just, you know, as, as a enlightened uh, individual. So before delving into you know, so I guess it was kind of in line with enlightenment thought in this regard before, before delving into specific spiritual dogma, trying to pinpoint and utilize, um, those, those, those initial elements, um, to the best of one's ability and to explore them to the best of one's ability. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like one, one thing I want to kind of comment on is how different, uh, religion evolves and uh, a science, a kind of a scientific uh, atheistic approach to like to religion morality, like how it evolves for psychological reasons. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there is like the kind of, there's that meme uh, of the midwit and putting it towards religion. Like I think like uh, shitting upon like religious fundamentalists and evangelicals is like, it's actually pretty cringe because yeah. that's, yeah, yeah, it's, but even I'd say even like 15 years ago, it was becoming kind of cringe yeah. because the whole the whole like that's what basically what the establishment media in Hollywood does. And uh, but I guess this might be overly simplistic, but you have like the kind of like low IKU people who are stereotypical. Stereoty are you talking about like that bell curve meme? Yeah, the bell here? curve meme. If that's yeah. right on the so at the low end of the bell curve, like you might get like the. Fundamentalist. Religious yeah. fundamentalist evangelicals who believe in a uh, very simplistic, like literal interpretation of religious scripts do and doctrines. And then you might get, again, this is overly simplistic, but then you get the, I think like atheism is like peak, peak midwit. Yeah, totally. And then high agnosticism. I, yeah. Yeah. Even agnosticism to a degree, but uh, yeah. And then like high IQ, I don't know, like making, uh, the problem with making up your own, making up your own religion besides the grifty thing, it's just hyper individualistic. Uh, but, uh, like high, I think a lot of high IQ people, uh, like they tend to believe like our consciousness is like, just like the very tip of the iceberg and, mm -hmm. or the view that like pro pro science but that science kind of explains is proof for, for a God or spirituality. The, I think that is, I don't know, like kind of, kind of deism or, or Gnosticism, like using these like overly simplistic categories, but we're, I mean, what is like the role of intelligence comes in? Yeah. Cause obviously, I mean, again, it's over simplistic because, because obviously rich, someone like Richard Dawkins, who I'm, I'm definitely critical Critical of yeah. he definitely is a very high IQ. No, yeah, let's so it's overly straight. simplistic. Like, yeah, I think I mean I think empirically um, high IQ does correspond with atheism. But I but I, but nevertheless with that bell curve meme, bell curve meme, I get what you're saying because 
I think it's not so much like their IQ, but maybe a very it is like atheism there's, is there, an there overly are, simplistic. There, view. There's two different types of atheists. Well, there's, yeah, there's a lot more than that. There, there's your kind of traditional academic atheists who, yeah, they're probably pretty high IQ. They, maybe there's the people who kind of correspond with the the basic um, what's his name. Um, Bert, no, no, no. Bertrand Russell's teapot thing right. where it's like, I have no reason to believe in God. Okay. Those people are probably high IQ, but what you have now, kind of what you have Sam, now, Sam exactly. You have, exactly. Thought. You have, you have it passing down. You have that note, that probably true notion from academia of the, you know, the, the, I don't believe in things. I don't have reason to believe passing down to, to midwit culture, to normies. And then they get really aggressive and territorial and they watch their, I mean, not to delve too into the meme stereotypes here, but I will nonetheless, they're Reddit and they watch um, Rick and Morty and they, they're so fucking sure of their atheism. That is the midwit type. And then the high IQ. Yeah. A lot of them are going to be atheists because a lot of them correspond to that reasonable. I don't believe in things. I don't have good reason to believe in type view, but, but even within that group, even some of them who are a little more agnostic, y Will, will will be the types to get interested in like well what does this bigger picture stuff mean you know maybe consciousness is just the tip of the iceberg you know um they may not believe in god um but they, think, they, uh, they they but they don't but they're they're they're, they're more no, they're not like, the midwits I'm, and then there are people who are also uh, yeah even like jeffrey giuliano the squid the squid game actor <laughs> yeah he's more from the kind of like uh the more uh like liberal liberal hippie kind of new age stuff very into eastern theology he made that kind of point like our our understanding of consciousness is only the tip of the iceberg and then buddhism's a whole other discussion because uh there there is criti- there is like criticism a lot of there is there is sort of sort of a stereotypical appeal of buddhism from people from the from left subcultures, but then uh, there's a good video by Ed Dutton on Buddhism, and uh, he's not opposed. He's not necessarily opposed to Buddhism. Mm. He's not opposed to Buddhism per se, but he said there, there's an interpretation that is radically liberal and radically individualistic. That everything, that basically everything, our plane of existence is just an illusion. Everything is temporary. Everything is fleeting, and that feeds it. That can it could feed into radical individualistic and nihilism so that's that's an interpretation but uh, i guess kind of back to the idea of how religion comes from and psycho from psychology because uh i think yeah. like both like kind of like both the stereotypical like evangelicals and then the midwit atheists actually they both tend to be uh blank slightest if you have an understanding of of morality and religion from from HBD, how morality and religion they involve they do evolve because I remember the we did a podcast like two maybe two years ago about secular slave morality, right. and we had a lot of good points. But but my my stance is on this. My positions evolved since then, and maybe listening back, maybe some of the stuff we said may have been uh, may have viewed maybe not just like cringe, but just our views probably evolve, but I do think, so the question is one's religious and moral outlook evolves from biology and then brings up kind of questions of, uh, of, of salvation and the view, yeah. the Christian view of salvation only through Jesus Christ or through, or through God. And, uh, kind of how different people because of their psychological profile all these different factors, including eroticism, conscientiousness, like your whole ocean profile, that that 
-hmm. determines like how attracted you are to religion. And then if you say like a theological view that salvation is only through one religious principle, if that's correct, then maybe does does that value does that validate uh, the Cal, the extreme like Calvinist view? Uh, extreme Calvinist view that that there's a few select few chosen for salvation or or kind of or is it totally incompatible with like the more main mainline Christian view? And then there's also a sort of a more or does it vindicate a more kind of like gnostic uh, esoteric interpretation yeah. of religion that different people not so much it's not so much Calvinism but more like an S a view that people are selected as as more kind of like casts and they have different different, different roles. roles so there is a sort of selected like spiritual spiritual cast in a in a biological in both a biological psychological and spiritual sense yeah i mean um my views are definitely a lot closer to the the gnostic notion and that ties in with the occultist notion as well uh not from a totally elitist standpoint i don't necessarily think anyone's better than anyone else with regard to this but i do think there are certain people who um are, do best with a very prescribed religious doctrine and sort of operate in this sort of midwit middle class normal way of that. Basically, the religious equivalent of those midwit atheists we talked we're we were talking about who just kind of parrot points they read. I think that's kind of the bulk of people. But then there's yeah, a select group that um, I are think more in tune perhaps or could uh, be more in tune or, like yeah. kind of an all or or nothing and uh, universal morality because uh, I haven't studied like Hinduism in depth, but interpretation that there's more. There's more like flexibility. There's more flex. It's a very kind of like flexible religion, philosophically and morally, and open to interpretation, which has its pros and its cons. But the idea that diff a different moral structures, instead of universalism, that different moral structures work better for different groups based mm -hmm. upon oh, based like psychological and genetic so, factors, yeah, like yeah. Not, instead of universal morality. Yeah, no, I do think there, it's not a one-size-fits-all. I mean, it's funny. I sometimes say um, uh, I'm pretty particularist in my politics, um, but when it comes to religious and spiritual matters, I increasingly sound like a universalist lib. I mean, I'm not liberal politically, but nevertheless, I, I'm very much a, a sort of universalist and a sort of a syncretist when it comes to religion and spiritual matters. I think everyone... I think all of I, I you know this isn't a me quote. I don't know if it's from Theosophy. I think I maybe maybe heard David Lynch cite it, who is probably more influenced by Theosophy than he even lets on. Um, but the notion that you know all all the world's major religions and even the lesser religions and even the tribal practices these are all sort of paths to the top of the same mountain and whatever is at the top of that. Mountain. Oh yeah, that yeah. is yeah. That's also interpreted that is interpreted as liberal as liberal as very liberal because I do remember. Uh, when I was a teenager, I attended like this Lutheran church on the west side of LA, and there was a pastor who was teaching that who was basically that she was preaching that there are many like paths, all religions are legitimate paths towards God, and there was a family, a very religious family, who just she they just got up and left. They were so appalled oh, well, by look, the idea. So that that what is. Think, what do you think about that idea? Because I, I happen to believe it it uh, is at least potentially. True, which I know would get me in hot water. Well, we yeah, yeah we the thing is like no one no one really knows uh, for sure, but I guess right. no one obviously no one really knows for sure. But the idea 
there's two ways of looking at it. There's a, rad, a radically... So with, with that particular pastor of the church I was attending to growing up, like that was a very radically kind of liberal interpretation of that. But then the irony is looking at things through from a standpoint of HBD. Like you could have a more kind of esoteric, like right, more rightist interpretation of the same idea. Yeah. That because people are different. Oh, kind of like your um, ideologically, yeah. like yeah, very much. Very, you're saying like, like your panonclavist idea. That yeah, like, yeah, it yeah, is. You could have a religious dimension. It I is interesting. I never, yeah, idea. I never really thought of it that way. But you could sort of have a religious, uh, a religious interpretation of like these political ideas, like panonclavism true freedom specialization based uh politics i don't know if you read the the article but the article about like the radical center and the psychological approach to like politics and race relations and it's a, a political philosophy based upon like psychology and under because when people talk mm-hmm. about like politics based on psychology it's usually like with the left but to understand like understanding the psychological profile and needs and uh yeah yeah instead of like it's it's kind of the, the thing i think if you take like an issue taking like the issue of racism like the left will shut it down as like immoral then you get kind of like color blindness uh, in the middle and uh mm-hmm. then you have uh you then you kind of let's see then you have like those people who say, like, the extreme kind of right-wing position of, like, endor- endorsing, like, just blind, kind of, like, blind, like, hardcore ethno ethno chauvinism without, just more from, like, a gut instinct, like, a lot of pop, they just, the point I make is, like, a lot of populist politics, like, like, right-wing populism and left-wing populism, so this is, like, a topic for a whole other show, but it is different. It gets different from rationalism and classical liberalism, but it has it, it demands like more a more sense of awareness than than just like populism and just following your instinct and then following kind of like these like demagogic like it's also critical of like of demagogic figures like Trump as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a whole yeah. As I said, it's a, it's a topic for a whole other discussion. But uh, Matt, have you read that article? And you sort of do you, do you understand what I'm getting at? Which article? The one the, the radical center's psychologically inspired approach to to race relations. Oh, right. So yeah, yeah, yeah understanding like understand yeah. yeah, and so like understanding like the psychological motives to political decisions, and also to like ta- the taboo aspects of human nature, and but like a. a acknowledging their legitimacy and then finding a productive way to manage them and uh right i mean i I, you you're a prolific uh blogger robert but um i think i've read the article does it not cite it cites marianne williamson or no no? i don't i yeah no it doesn't but okay well i don't remember a specific article but i i understand your point and i i think you've talked about it in regard to uh marianne williamson even a little bit into to, to, to yang before he was uh, got, got a little more cocked um but th- th- there was a kind of right-wing attraction a little bit maybe it was a little bit of yes, a name but yang, to, to marianne williamson yeah, more is, so uh i don't actually i don't remember the right 
A little bit. She became sort of a me. She became like a meme, but I think it was more like to Tulsi and to Yang. Sure, sure, sure. And then, Tulsi and to Yang with regard to the national, nationalism in the, type issue. Yeah, issues. the psychological aspect of politics. Yang, Yang is referenced in that regard. Yeah, Yang, Yang so, is like, good. But... Because he talked about, Yang actually talked about like racism in a in the sen- in a sense of like scare like scarcity and right. a psycho a psychological so he's, like he's, a scarcity mindset rather than just moral denunciation. Right. So yeah, he's higher IQ and has a more uh, attraction uh, to that you know right side of the bell curve who who deals with things that way. But you did I know this was a bit more of a meme because there was you know if you want to talk about grifters of spirituality movements. Marianne Williamson is kind of an example, maybe not the worst and most grifty example, but an example nonetheless of someone from California dealing in New Age thought you know, dealing out mysticism, you know, she was, she was in some ways like very much cringed uh, over by the right, but there was a certain faction on the distant right, again, maybe as a meme, and I think it included you and even perhaps Richard Spencer, who were kind of jokingly saying like, she is, she is at least nice. She is kind of bringing this compassionate approach uh, to certain issues. You know, there's that almost Lynchian thing. I think the difference is not so much, with Yang, it's the psychological understanding rather more of denunciation. I think the appeal to her isn't so much even ideological. It's just that she, she just, uh, she emulates like pure, like pure compassion. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that does like that, that does seem very kind of, uh, very liberal or, or, or hippie ish. But I think because so much of politics is about, especially uh on both sides but i say more on the left and the establishment is about like punishing your your enemies and about it's about vengeance and uh right and i think that just i mean just enough even though uh it's very she's basically it's sort of like really like some of it stuff she says me is kind of like basic bitch kind of like hippie talking points i think because of how our society is just her going on Bill Maher and saying we have to show, we have to show love and compassion to people who don't see the way we do, like that. That in some ways is become like, it's in some ways it is groundbreaking. Um, yeah. If you have Andrew Yang as being on the you know further right side of the the bell curve meme here, um, kind of bring a high IQ policy based approach to how we can meet people's psychological needs. Marianne Williamson is sort of the more midwit basic bitch version of that, but nevertheless, the midwit basic bitch version of something good. Let's call it the better trend coming out of the 2020 democratic primaries, which was people willing to actually kind of psychologically grapple with the issues in society, as opposed to just, you know, well, we don't even need to, I don't really want to rehash 2020 issues, but you, you, you know, the opposite side where it's all these people, you know, should basically be, be silenced and, and whatnot. So yeah, with the whole like kind of psychological approach to politics, it includes like specialized plans and, uh, I mean, how to manage like not, not just like mental health, but just how to, how do you, how does society manage things like, like the like competition for social status that drive uh, politics. So I think where where the political like my my article on politics uh, on, on psych- psychological approach to politics and the radical center relates to to your article on the new spiritual movement. It's this idea of quasi occultists in some ways is being in touch with the darker side of human nature. Right. But on also having a better understanding 
of one's own subconscious and all the all the things all the things that we but it's different than rationalism and classical liberalism but understanding like all the things all our actions and not analyzing it so much from a rational rationalist standpoint what are what we do like the rationalists will say are what we doing is it rational or is it overly emotionally driven but trying to have a better understanding about uh, these deeper uh, subconscious and psychosocial motives and the occultist angle comes in as being in touch with that like dark energy but then the question but then is it so in some sense like how how to not reject not rejecting it but instead like understanding it better and then sort of in a sense taming it yeah um that that resonates to a degree i think it's about um uh, that definitely resonates. I think one one thing that attracts me to, you know, a lot of what I've described as my attraction to occultism more recently has to do pretty specifically with the phase of life that I'm in and also the phase of, you know, the po political dialectic that we are all in and the state of society as being chaotic and a state of older belief systems um, sort of facing facing certain challenges. Uh, this one is, would be something I would say pretty much in favor of occultism for, for any age is that it, the relationship with darkness and with, with the dark side, what Jung, um, who I'm no expert on, but I will nevertheless cite what Jung cites as kind of a shadow work or the shadow self or however he puts it, um, <laughs> occultism's, uh, ability to, uh, delve into that and to, Sort of use it and another notion that you see kicking around a lot or that i kick around in my article and and the type of so-called occultism that i like is alchemy the notion of taking dark matter and making it light turning uh black bile into gold etc um that notion in occult which is it's present in myst the mystical dimensions of mainstream religion as well but it's definitely even more explicitly part and parcel of occultism where there's this notion of taking taking the dark and making it light, Ta as you said, taking the dark sides of human nature, our dark desires, our dark uh, capabilities, and um, you know not wishing them away under the rug, but sort of exploring them in a controlled manner and you know utilizing them to 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 beneficial purpose um, is something that that really draws me in, especially to that kind of alchemical notion. Uh, one one useful dichotomy here is you hear a lot, and then other people say that it's nonsense and there really is no difference and that it's another, you know, bad binary or something, but is the right hand path occultism versus the left hand path. Uh, we've talked about this on past shows. Uh, you know, I, I'm definitely um, a right hand path guy if, if I had to pick a side, but I think a lot of it is about sort of bridging that gap too and looking at the, uh, and again, to spell it out for people who may not know, left hand path being sort of amoral, um, you know, driven by what would be considered to be more amoral or immoral or baser instincts and, and right-hand path being, or another way to say it, uh, left-hand left path being Dionysian, right-hand path being Apollonian. And um, I, I, you know, if I had to pick a side, I, I side with Apollonian. I side with bringing order to chaos rather than chaos to order. But nevertheless, I think you do need both sides. You need to tap into the Dionysian. The energy, and that's a big part of the, the first chunk of my essay is you need to be willing to tap into that Dionysian energy, what Palia calls phonic energy. Um, you, you need to be willing to to tap in into that uh, as as a source of energy. I mean, this is uh, talk about 
the the elements behind the spiritual impulse well some of those elements are really messy it's the you know the, the mess of an ejaculation leads to new life i'm not trying to be crass here so you need to be willing to tap into that energy but also bring bring order to it and i think there you know there is a version of that a little bit in what you're talking about even on these kind of more quotidian political matters of uh, of taking an honest look at human psychology and using it to inform um you know political policy or psychological programs that that lead to the betterment of society bettering of quality of life uh, in real real life examples you know a little bit of yang a little bit of marianne williamson but um but but maybe even better spell that robert uh, by blackstone i mean that that's an alchemical name if i've ever heard one blackstone um blackstone in your novel as um as an example par ex uh, par excellence of this kind of political thinker who 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 takes a really unflinching look at the darker aspects of humanity but seeks to create aesthetic gold from it um we need to pause in a second but would you want to comment on blackstone and the role of that kind of notion in your book All right, we're back. We're um, we had to drive. We, our Airbnb checkout time was eleven, so we had to drive to a viewpoint of Lake Henshaw, which is not exactly what you'd call. We're not that close, but we are on pulled over the side of California Route seventy six, I think it's called, and we are ready to get back into it. And Robert, I had just asked um, about Blackstone, about Roger Blackstone from both of your novels, uh, Journey to Vapor Island and Sequel Vapor Fornia, as a character, as a as a political alchemist, as someone who takes the black bile of human nature, the dark side of human nature, the Jungian shadow work, and um, is successfully able to uh, alchemize it into a positive political program, a positive positive policy and um, something for the betterment of all, for the betterment of society and for the betterment, betterment of individuals. Um, if you want to comment on that. Yeah, Roger Blackstone. So yeah, uh, we already did a show on Vaporfornia, but uh, recently I'm, I'm working, we were working on the addendum to Vaporfornia going right. kind of reviewing Blackstone. So what, like what, what he symbolizes politically, uh, yeah, we already kind of went over that, but I think the the specialization element, uh, specialization based approach to to psychology. I put, well, basically, what we were saying earlier is putting psychology into politics and basing politics on that different groups have different psych psychological needs. Yeah. And uh, yeah, a bit of that, a bit of that from Yang, and the sort of Promethean, Promethean elements of Blackstone, which are more, you could say, relevant to Giorgiani. Right. Uh, the idea that like those in power, uh, who are just kind of stifling radical creativity, but they're they're consolidating or hoarding on to wealth and power, like mm -hmm. managerialism that could represent the Olympians, and this idea of radical Promethean politics but it is sort of uh there is an element but there is a kind of an element of of caste to that like there is there a promethean like of a promethean caste in a sense and maybe that was like for the for the protagonist of that book max maybe that was 
a bit of bit of like uh, a kind of a, a cope could be to like where where his arc could be a bit of a cope mm-hmm. but also like the role of just this movement uh, of innovative radical creativity of artistic cultural technological and even scientific innovators like rising rising up and that being yeah people who not would, everything people would be, who, who would traditionally be ignored by the mainstream blackstone giving a voice and a, and a, and a platform to right that's part of it and then uh then we i mean we talked we kind of talked about this like the more the more taboo the more taboo elements getting into eugenics but then that element like the element with blackstone and eugenics the element of caste the element of like this promethean creator class like we're i think we 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 pretty adequately covered the political angles on our last show but what do you get do you get any spiritual component from from uh from Blackstone? Obviously, a big theme in the book is also this idea of uh, the, the, the yeah. I wrote about block. I wrote yeah. about yeah. I wrote about this in my in my addendum that there everyone has like their own kind of personal algorithm that you have, kind of you have to kind of life hack and could be a metaphysical or spiritual or even yeah. parapsychological. But it's sort of a, a extreme or esoteric take on psychology and self improvement. But I guess, I guess like the alternative to that is just letting in the light of God or the light of the universe, like photosynthesis, yeah. photosynthesis everything, and just take take that in. But it does it does correspond somewhat to like an abstract an abstract sense of like chaos magic over a specific like algorithmic re- regimens so with Matt, if you want to comment on this, on that, but then also like, what is this, like the spiritual component of what, of what Blackstone represents as an archetype too? Sure. Yeah, no, you talked about the, um, the dichotomy, that dichotomy you're laying out between a certain, <clears throat> uh, a certain kind of um, chaos magic type thought, which to me sounds exhausting and, 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 and like havoc on anyone who has any inkling of obsessive compulsive tendencies. Uh, the notion of like, uh, I have to tap into my true, the notion, there's the Crowleyan notion of tapping into your true will. And you could drive yourself crazy um, trying to, you know, access like, what is the exact right thing I have to do right now? The exact right situation I have to put myself in uh, to, in order to tap into my true will, to hack into um, you know, the, my perfect life, um, that, that is a notion that I think respectfully, Robert, I think you struggle with a bit. I, something I think that a lot of us struggle with a bit, uh, including, including myself. Um, but I, I try to look at that's, that's like the, I guess a, a, a possible pitfall of tapping into occult type thinking, or certainly any Crowley true will type thinking is that you drive yourself crazy with, does this little thing mean this? And I have to do this. And this is, this is my true will. And are you, even if you were just, even without the occult element, you can get into this headspace if you're like a Christian and you're wondering what God's will is for you. You can really, you can really trip over yourself worrying about the specific details of should I do this, that, and the other thing. But I find a much more helpful um, metaphor yeah, to use. Just to call this because uh, if you go, if you do like a Google search for Christians OCD, like these these people, they're not. Well, they're Christians or not. It's the opposite of call this, but these people are actually in like utter psychological torment right. because they try to combine their OCD with religion. Yeah, yeah. And, and basically, the advice from most of these like theological counselors 
is just is just sort of to embrace God and then to let go of all that nonsense. Exactly. Well, that's exactly what I was about to say because uh, yeah, it's not. It really isn't an occult issue. It's really an, an issue of any spirituality. And when you bring in something like the notion of hell and brimstone into the uh, equation, yeah, that can drive you even crazier. And yeah, that's the answer. In as far as there is a simple answer, is to let go and let God. Uh, I, I think that applies just as much for a Orthodox Christian as for someone who's a little more New Agey. You just need, or you know, you could say the universe. Even like, you just have to let go. And I find it useful to imagine myself as a plant, sort of photosynthesizing the light of God, the light of the universe, as you said, Robert. Um, just kind of not being passive because you need to, you do need to be active when the time calls. But just recognizing that that is our fundamental state is not as prime movers unmoved, but rather. Um, you know, inflectors of a greater light. I do think on that Crowley notion of the true will and on the notion of the occult in general, I do think that we do have a considerable amount of power as creators and definitely as artists. You know, we are playing the role of God in our work. You know, there is a special relation there and like a little bit of, a little bit of obsessive compulsive, a little bit of, uh, you know, what do I really need to do? That's okay. But you just, what, in that dark hour where you're, where you're driven crazy, you need to, you need to know when to surrender and i think that is a much more spiritually palatable way of going through and not not fussing too much over the past is the other thing to remember yeah yeah that that, that is another huge theme in the the book like alternative life paths and uh alternative futures what could have been definitely then the ethereal realm the vapor and then like uh the astral plane uh which it's 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 a more esoteric it's a more theological esoteric concept also has to do with like your soul before after you die but the thing is and then there's timothy leary's idea of that you can hack into the astral plane with psychedelics with psychedelics uh and uh or the astral plane in a sort of metaphoric sense but uh i think another example is uh, you listened to this on a previous we were listening to it on our trip back from the berry and i listened to it so pillator uploaded a conversation with uh my old co-host alex von goldstein right. and, and i have no idea if if uh if goldstein <laughs> if he if if uh if goldstein mm-hmm. agreed permission because that's just something uh Pilater's a good friend but sometimes he doesn't he sometimes he posts stuff without people's permission and that's just <laughs> that's just his thing so but the dream world was his concept so He's, but Goldstein is brilliant. Like I used to, yeah, he is. Yeah. Be, but the thing is when you listen to this, like you don't know, it's like some people might interpret it as a, as a genius, as, as a genius. Some people might, some people might come across as totally schizophrenic or to some people it might just be a metaphor and it's this idea, but it also gets in that there is this kind of, so what Goldstein talks about is uh dream world, like the astral plane or the vapor it's this world where people's subconscious are sort of interconnected and t- deals with telepathy. But then it also deals a bit with like a spiritual cast. Like there's this one, there's certain groups of people who are attuned to it. And he was even saying people, even people who are more like on the spectrum, yeah. saying like they're more kind of attuned. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Or this idea that like there's this weird esoteric idea that schizophrenics are are actually seers? attuned yeah. seers yeah like that that's a thing, but yeah well, if you listen to that like I think different people interpret 
interpret Alex Goldstein's dream Alex von Goldstein's dream world like different in a different manner. But did you you listen to the same audio from from Pillator? He posted it to a Substack. Like, what did did you get a lot out of it? Uh, it's going back about a year now, but but yeah, I do think there is a certain brilliance to what to what Alex was was saying in that. I think it is roughly analogous to what you call the vapor. You I think you talk about it in your addendum. The notion of using aesthetics to kind of communicate a message in in chaos magic and in, in the occult that's called sigils. Um, and that's part is basically the same thing as meme magic. It's using symbolism and imagery and aesthetics to communicate a non-verbal idea on a sort of higher, uh, like through the astral plane, so to so to speak. And I I, I interpret uh, there's probably more to it than that, but I basically interpreted Alex von Goldstein's dream world notion as that, and it's the same way that I sort of interpret your um, vapor metaphor in your novels. And it's definitely part and parcel of the kind of occult notions. That I'm talking about here. I mean, honestly, uh, I, I've you know on and off throughout my life been a little bit interested in occult topics, but definitely the probably the start of my current interest goes back to like 2016, 2017 times when everyone was talking about meme magic and this notion that meme magic worked, and it kind of seemed to. And I think there is kind of a parapsychological explanation for that, the way images can, and through the internet, especially when they're reproduced in mass. Um, can communicate a powerful message and change minds. It also corresponds a little bit to my old blog, altofcenter.com, where, where in our old conversations we've had, Robert, about um, basically the, the politics of aesthetics and um, sort of using aesthetics as this incredibly politically potent tool. Um, yeah, it's the, the, these are that, that's like a, a, a central tenet of what I'm interested in, I would say, is sigils and, and aesthetic magic. I guess the idea... Like there's an idea that that aesthetic aesthetics is not not just worldly. If you create like aesthetics that are on such a ground that are so groundbreaking, you open up some ethereal realm. Or the quote yeah. that man's longing to be reunited with the divine. Right. I forget from Zurius, the musician. I think talks about. Oh that. right, yeah. yeah, from Zurius. Also, the end of my that, that's like the last line of my Vaporfornia too. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a notion that speaks to me a lot, the notion of trying to get back in touch with divinity and um, our yearnings, our, our nostalgia, um, whatever that Portuguese word you, you mentioned. Saudade. Saudade is... Yeah, homesickness for a place that you're longing not sure exists, for, basically. Longing for yeah. what could have been in a hypnagogic state. Exactly. I, that's part and parcel of what informs me spiritually and even occultically, <laughs> if that's a word, as well, um, is, is that is that notion of wanting to be reunited with the divine. And maybe, maybe this leads a little bit into, um, you know, the degree to which I think some of these occult notions that I'm kicking around here and I kick around my article are, they're not necessarily, um, they're not necessarily in contradiction with, certainly not in contradiction with monotheism or traditional religion. Um, I rather think they can be uh, complementary, And I have kind of a specific theory about that, that I if you don't mind, I'll, I'll get into uh, what one definition of the occult is that it's kind of the shadow of the prevailing belief system or the mainstream belief system, often in some degree of opposition to it or in some, you know, sub uh, subversive against it. My, my take on it, similar to my definition being just getting back in touch with the primal stuffs of spirituality in the first place has to do with um, 
it's not that it's not the shadow of the prevailing belief system or it is the shadow but it rather than rather than a shadow existing next to it it's a post shadow on uh, that that religion in the West as the this is gets into heady philosophical waters but also mystical waters religion in the West and Christianity um, as the product of a certain logos um, as E. Michael Jones would call it um, and, and the unraveling of, of a certain logic um, is kind of coming to an end and it's dried up and, and, and lost its vigor like a fish on the shore this is a metaphor I take from Alexander Dugan who is also an occultist um, I take that notion seriously, and I, I think that the type of occult notion that I'm interested in, it's not um, subverting the mainstream religion so much as recognizing that it is in crisis and it's been dried up by over-rationalization and a myriad other forces, which I don't necessarily want to get into spelling out. But I think it's something that a lot of people can see if they look that, you know, religion is in the West in general, in the Spenglerian sense, is is been sapped of its vigor. And we now need to look to find some way of restoring that vigor and i think that we can find this in in certain you know delving carefully because we are playing with fire when we're dealing with these fundamental matters and it's not for everyone but some of us um who who are who are who, who exhibit a degree of caution um and are attuned to these things i think can kind of tap into that primal stuff that primal fire um from which New traditions can be founded, and I think that's pretty much the TLDR of my Substack piece is that we need to do that, and that I think certain certain not to not to suck anyone's dick too hard, but certain frog Twitter figures like Bronzy's Pervert and Mike Ma and, and others yeah. um, have have begun that process. And, yeah, um, I just kind of I just kind of go over go over these different points. Is like there was like what Nietzsche calls a Dionysian. There also relates to Camille Paglia's uh, take on the basic. That there is yeah. this kind of like basic primal force of nature that's behind all arts and literature and sexuality, of and, yeah, sexuality. Yeah. Uh, but then that gets more Freudian that like sexuality, yeah, well, that's but a, there's that, but there's yeah, but a, there is validity in it, yeah, yeah. Right, right? That's a corner I would wish to, I don't want to go down the Freudian path, right? And know. then you have yeah. like Baps, Bronze Age pervert, all the foundationalist versus traditionalist, and then Mike Ma is uh. I've never I've never read his book, but I, I've just listened to his playbook playlist and uh, <laughs> all right, you listen to his Spotify playlist. Spotify right. playlist, and, yeah, he yeah. he flirts with occultism, but he's also in some ways is radically trad right. Like he, yeah, right. In his yeah. book, he advocates like executing like all basically all degenerates. So he is pretty yeah, I mean, yeah, hardcore. <laughs> and then, but the thing is, he does. But he refers to himself as an instinctive, an instinctive Christian. to instinctive yeah. Christian. So is that is that getting back to what we said earlier in the podcast? How religion, instead of trying to kind of impose religion uh, and theology like top down, just religious values comes from instincts. Yeah, exactly. Can you hear that? Thanks. Um... Yeah, no, uh, that notion of instinctive Christianity that there's that you could access a Christian theology or morality or, or way of life uh, without necessarily ever having read the Bible. I mean, that, that is, I, I assume theologians have grappled with this. Like, how, how can someone born in the Amazon rainforest away from society be, be best be a Christian? I mean, there must be some kind of answer to that. What is it? You know, and it, I think it would have to do with tapping into these basic psychological uh, obviously most Christian teaching, you know, it is, it is a teaching of Logos. You do need to learn, but there must be some instinctual 
you know, fingerprints of the universe that anyone can access anywhere. And I think the question, I don't I'm not exactly sure if that's what Mike Ma is getting at, but maybe. And I think the question is, how do you sort of access those? And, and for that, if you do, if you were able to do that, you can refound, you know, I talk about the foundation of new traditions, but this could also be a way to refound old ones. If you're able to do that, and you don't need to actually forget your Bible or anything, but if you're able to retap into that vital energy that, you know, if you're a religious person, you must believe it is out there. If you're able to do that, then you can refound the religion for yourself. And before long, you can refound it for others. Um, yeah, the, the piece I wrote for Substack is it's, it, the name is taken from a section in, in Mike Ma's book, Gothic Violence, The Renaissance of the Ritual, um, in which he, he describes a, you know, a program where, I mean, yes, as you say, he is a traditionalist, right? And he talks about a, this sort of very based on right wing sacrifice of all the unworthy gatekeepers and this, that, and the other thing. But the part that really spoke to me was where he says, you know, in our lifetime, we'll see the reemergence of white magic, not occultism, but, um, or what, what is it? I, I don't have the quote in front of me, but I can almost quote it, I think. Uh, not darkness, but a closeness to it. Not occultism, but the rituals of it. That's what he advocates. So not occultism, but the rituals of it. And that notion, the aesthetic freedom of, of re uh, the aesthetic freedom that comes from that, rather than trying to always, um, you know, um, conform yourself to religion as as you as it is has been taught to you, which in so so many instances is so cucked and so dry. Uh, you know, look at the if you look at you know a lot of mainstream denominations, even even Catholicism, you know, there's a considerable amount of liberalism to it. Rather than always trying to comply with that, which probably has its value, I will add as a caveat, you know, people need community, et cetera. I'm not advocating that anyone stop going to church if you go. But at the same time, a lot of us find that we need something more. And I think that the type of aesthetic freedom that Ma indicates in this notion of not occultism, but the rituals of it, this, and I, which, I, again, I interpret as getting back in touch with those figments of reality and nature that underlie the spiritual impulse or even the Christian impulse, um, I think is the answer to recapturing that vigor. And I also, if I could just go on my tangent here, I think, again, and not to be Mr. Uh, Mr. Tealbuck's frog Twitter citing all the right accounts guy, but um, BAP, you know, um, ad, talks about the refounding of traditions uh, quite a bit. And he himself, you know, with well, his well, sort say, of, wait, yeah. With uh, BAP, he says founda foundationalism, but not traditionalism. Right. Um, well, with BAP, there's a quote from this article that I wrote for the period in spring where he talks about basically that no, he's not anti-traditionalist, but says that that tradition is basically gone. That no one, I think he says, except for in a few nooks of imperial Japanese palaces or in Bhutan, you know, because BAP's on this kind of little bit of a theosophy kick, I would say, with Tibetan, you know, secret of esoteric Easter traditions. But for the most part, he thinks, I guess, that traditionalism is completely cucked and dried up in the West. You can't access to it. You can't. You have no access to it. So we we are four year in the position where we must found new traditions and retap into that. And it, it corresponds to tapping into certain Nietzschean vitalism. So the 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 bodybuilding, the sunbathing, it's all the, the the healthy diet, the the getting back in touch with your body. It's all part and parcel uh, for BAP. I think for Mott, similar. Yeah, it also relates like to the politics of retrofuturism. Like not going back, but tapping into that alternative uh, time frame, and then you have like with Prometheism, Jason Giorgiani, like that could be interpreted as like Satanism, in the sense of rebelling against God, like the idea of stealing the fire from the gods. Yes. And uh, Prometheus, obviously in Greek mythology, rebelled against against Zeus and the Olympians. 
Johnny's a Prometheus, so he's yeah. very adamant that he wants nothing to do with Christianity. There's absolutely no reconciliation. <clears throat> and uh, would you agree with that? No. Or could? <laughs> yeah. Or do you think he's too rigid? Like, do you think there can be uh, value in things? Because and uh, things that are obviously so fundamentally at odds with one another was his take. Um. Yeah, no, I, I don't necessarily think so. And part of it, part of it, part of my disagreement stems from not having a powerful counterargument as much as that I am just more syncretic and frankly liberal in my spiritual views that, you know, I, I think that, yes, you could you could you could eschew Christianity and eschew Judeo-Christianity and, 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 and perhaps be a neo-pagan or perhaps as a lot of, you know, right wing people are. Or perhaps be something different altogether. I'm not necessarily opposed to doing that. I just very much think that that what I'm interested in is, is making a, mo a more modest point than a whole new Promethean religion to refound the West. No, I'm much more interested in um, giving people a toolbox. Whether you're somewhat agnostic and just want you know a kind of creative and spiritual outlet, um, which is kind of, I mean, I'm not agnostic. I do believe in God, but I'm not currently practicing any religion so i'm a little closer to that but also if you are even um, a very traditionalist uh catholic or, or, or christian i think that i don't think that um tapping into some of this kind of call it a certain spiritual vitalism is 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 at odds with it i think that people and again again not to not to cite not to full-heartedly cite um endorse everything this man stands for but someone like alexander dugan with his old believers orthodoxy but also interest in crowley i think is an example of this and i think it's the type of thing that sort of will need to happen and will inevitably happen um moving forward um spiritually in the west and i um this you know a little bit of a side point here but i think you know the spiritual revolution whatever happens next spiritually um i believe takes precedent over anything else that happens politically racially whatever like there needs to be this renewal let me just say one last thing. Arthur Schopen, just I just did want to make this point. Arthur Schopenhauer is another a good example of someone, in some ways, the, the great, great godfather of New Age thought in the West, the, pretty much the first known Western Buddhist, if I'm not mistaken, someone who, who really researched that. And, and, you know, and his thought is affiliated with the right. So just as a point of illustration, um, and, you know, certainly BAP talks a lot about Schopenhauer um, and uh, fi finding light in Eastern thought. Um, that is absolutely a, a excellent precedent uh, for the degree to which there is an esoteric to based pipeline. Anything else you want to add? I mean, I think you pretty much covered it. And then also, uh, also Jungian. I haven't studied Jung extensively, so I don't have a, I don't have like a whole lot to say. But it's also relevant to Jungian's psychology, like to the Jungian subconscious. And kind of combining like spirituality with psychology in that regards, but I don't yeah, have a whole lot to say. To this day, you can still go into like random, um, what's it called? Very random um, new age bookstores and, and, and occult bookstores, and they still have Jung. Like he's still definitely relevant. Yeah. And the other thing I was going to say was um, theosophy, which seems super liberal. No religion is above truth, syncretic, you know, taking influence by, by different religions. Um, Interestingly, that too um, had a significant influence over like the Nazis and whatnot. Case in point, some of these broader um, old school new agey ideas were definitely not um, definitely definitely amenable to the right and perhaps even more amenable to the right than they would have been.
to the left as an interesting side note. Um, Theosophy is something I'd like to study more, but they do say it influenced everyone from Hitler to Lynch. Points, and with this, I wouldn't even call it like a, a movement, a new spirituality movement. Like so far, it's just very, it's just like an open-ended, like philosophical discussion. Remember when right, you got to the top of the waterfall, the open-ended well, top of the waterfall by Emerald, right, by Emerald Pool, pool in Yosemite, yeah. and you were, and you were just like, and I was thinking, like, is this is this guy Matt Pegasus here really going to start a new religion, or is he totally full of shit? Mm-hmm. And but this seem like a, yeah, it's just like an open, it's an open-ended philosophical discussion that may or may not lead somewhere. Yeah, but right. uh, if, if before I wrap, we wrap up. Do you want to make like my last pitch? Your last, your last, pitch. yeah, your last pitch. Your last thoughts on kind of wrapping up everything we've discussed this morning, and then also if you actually do have like uh, gra- grandiose plans for the future. Uh, why, yes, I do, Robert. Thanks for asking. So, uh, yeah, this will kind of be by way of summary, but I I uh, envision uh, an affirmative um, spirituality or religion that um, attempts to create <clears throat> order in a chaotic and random universe, something that recognizes the chaos and randomness definitely of our times, but perhaps even, as in chaos magic, the fundamental randomness of everything, and seeks to bring order to that in line with the will. That's very simply what I advocate. I, you know... I lay out a few a few steps in my article. You know, it's about you must seek the aesthetic wonderment first and foremost. You must affirm the mess of the universe, and then you must, you know, create create order from chaos. Um, invent whether that's inventing your own rituals, alchemizing darkness into light. That's the basis of what I advocate. I, I I'm interested in a self-initiatory process. I think that people should take these ideas for themselves and apply them. And I'm happy to be in touch with anyone who does so. Um, I It's an anti-grift. I'm not looking to make any money off of this. Beyond, if I do write something, I'll obviously sell it for a fair price and, you know, whatever. But, like, I'm not – this is this is the opposite. This in, as, as a matter of principle, this shall be a, the opposite of a grift. It's about stealing fire from the gods. It's about stealing fire from the gatekeepers and doing magic as a birthright, um, etc. Um no, yeah, uh, so I, I, I envision this as something that can be kind of taken on its own terms, almost like a new religion or a new spiritual program, or it can be used to um, um, complement existing religions as a means of renewing older beliefs. Um, uh, yeah, it's definitely influenced by certain frog Twitter figures like Ma and Bap, and the notion of foundationalism as opposed to traditionalism, um, the notion of refounding. Um, new traditions uh, in this sort of post where, you know, <clears throat> Dugan talks about pre-order chaos and post-order chaos, pre-order chaos being that sort of Dionysian element at the foundation of things, which I believe in tapping into post-order chaos being the perceived chaos of Logos and decay, which I think we have in the West. And yeah, it is this chaotic moment in which we can re, I think, uh, you know, reaccess that original mystical pre-order chaos. Um, and yeah, I know in order to do that, uh, yeah, yeah, I think that, that, that pretty much, uh, wraps it up. Yeah. Uh, great show. And, uh, yeah, it was a great discussion and, and take care everyone. Thanks so much. Bye.